turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. So authority is important. There must be conviction, and, and, and there must be a believability to what you have to say. And we want to be careful that we don't go beyond biblical authority and start telling people to do things that uh, the Bible does not really deal with, and that's very important. There are a lot of people who want to tell you how you ought to live your life. It's just that they don't have any biblical authority for it. Paul's not dealing with that, but where the Bible is plain on an issue, a good minister must address that issue and do it with conviction and with love in his heart. That conviction is just one of the marks of a good servant of God. We'll hear more today on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could join us. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us in a series of lessons from 1 Timothy chapter 4 about the marks of a good servant. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Teaching and preaching with conviction and authority are important, assuming that we're teaching the truth, of course. Athanasius, an early bishop of Alexandria, firmly resisted the Arian heresy that claimed that Jesus was not the eternal Son of God. When Emperor Theodosius asked him if he realized that the whole world was against him, Athanasius answered, Then I am against all the world. The truth about God is that important. Grab your Bible if you can. Here's Pastor Steve. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 again. We have been studying about the marks of a good servant. And I think we need to, um, need to understand, in light of the overall context of this book, what Paul is really dealing with. We learned this morning that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his church. One of those churches that he is in the midst of is Ephesus. In fact, that's the first church we'll see next Sunday morning as we examine that and we see how the Lord examines his church. The Lord Jesus Christ said that the church was symbolized as a golden lampstand. Gold, precious, the most precious metal of its day in the first century. A lampstand where light is to, uh, is to beam forth, holding light. Jesus will say in Revelation chapter 2 that if you don't repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to take the light out. What a tragic thing. And it's all against this background of Timothy being sent to Ephesus that Paul is dealing with. With the, with the church, that Christ loves his church, that Christ purchases church, and there is apostasy in the church, and there is false leadership in the church, and there are really quacky ideas about the church, and you have women doing things they shouldn't do, and men doing things they shouldn't do, and in the midst of this situation, Timothy finds himself, perhaps a timid man, perhaps a man given over to uh, being very sensitive, perhaps a man that wanted to retreat and 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 didn't handle well the problems going on. And throughout this letter, Paul is encouraging him, stir up the gift that is in you. I charge thee. And, all the, and, I, and I think when you come to chapter 4, it's another encouragement. Timothy, I know you want to leave. I know there are problems. I know there's apostasy going on. It will only get worse. But I want you to know that a good minister stays 
and a good minister conducts his ministry and doesn't back down. And he carries on his ministry even in the midst of problems by finding a certain pattern. And you see, it's because the church of Jesus Christ is so important, because the church of Christ is so meaningful to him and so precious to him that there must be good ministers. And that's what 1 Timothy chapter 4 is all about. Having said in the first five verses that the Spirit explicitly, very clearly says in the latter times some will depart from the faith, some who never really embraced the faith, some who only professed it intellectually or emotionally will depart from it, and they're going to teach error and things are going on like that even now. Timothy, in the midst of these problems, conduct your ministry in a good way. Be a good servant. Don't just be a servant, but be a good servant, which means be a noble servant, an excellent servant. And so from verses uh, 6 and 7 and 8 and following all the way to the end of this chapter, verse 16, it is outlined for us, I think very clearly, the marks of a good servant, an excellent servant, an excellent minister. And that's what we've been looking at. Christ's church is too important to tolerate mediocrity. Christ's church is too important to just get by. There must be a commitment to what is excellent and what is right, even though there are problems. Now, we have looked at, at these marks, at least four of them, in the last few weeks. Number one, he says that a good servant protects the flock, verse 6, and pointing out these things. What things? Apostasy and how to answer apostasy from the word of God and pointing out these things. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. A good servant protects the flock. A good servant warns. A good servant exposes error. A good servant doesn't just say nice things. A good servant, servant doesn't just have sermonettes for Christianettes. A good servant protects the flock even if he's unpopular. He says things that others might not want to tread on. A good servant also feeds himself. He's not only feeding others. He's not only protecting others, but he is feeding himself. Paul says, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. That is to say, before he ever speaks the word to others, it has just been nourished and cultured and nurtured in his own heart. And so what he has to say is out of the overflow of his own life. There is no dichotomy between the man and his message. It goes together. Number three, he avoids error. Verse seven, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now there's a contrast there, but... In other words, Timothy, you have been feeding on the word of God. You have been feeding on the truths and the doctrines of the word of God. But don't feed on error. Avoid error. And I think this is very important. I think uh, in the name of intellectual integrity, too many Christians, especially Christian colleges, are teaching error. And they want their men and they want their women to be exposed to error, which really has no profit. Not to major on it. Now, you need to know something of error so you can deal with it, but not to be an expert on it, not to dwell on it. And there's a, I heard recently about a seminary that, um, that someone said, why not have a course dealing with godliness? And the response of the professor was, oh, that wouldn't have uh, uh, academic credibility. There's a great concern for academic credibility these days at the expense of godliness and the expense of truth. So a true servant and a good servant of Christ has nothing to do with worldly fables but only for old women. He avoids it. He keeps his mind pure. He doesn't feel like he needs to fill his mind with error just to see if he can handle it. Number four, a good servant pursues godliness. How important this is. On the other hand, Paul says in verse 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 
For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, Paul is not saying that godliness is unimportant, or rather that physical exercise is unimportant. He's just saying that it's only temporary. It, uh, it really doesn't even match up in any way to, to godliness because godliness is profitable for all things. But physical exercise just profits a little bit. And he's speaking about priorities and what's really important. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. He says in verse 9, everybody knows this. The church endorses this. We don't train for athletics and leave it alone at that. We train for godliness. We are to be like an athlete who trains to compete in a race or a sport. We are to train and concentrate on being godly. We pursue it. Verse 10, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. In other words, he is saying that godliness counts for something. It is worth it. God who is the Savior of all men, that is in the sense that he sustains them and preserves them, gives proof positive that we who pursue godliness also are going to be sustained and blessed even in eternity. Now that leads us to the next two marks of a good servant. And that is, he speaks with biblical authority. Speaks with biblical authority. Now, I emphasize the word biblical, not just authority. Anybody can speak with authority. But only a good servant speaks with biblical authority. Verse 11, very simple, very straightforward. Prescribe and teach these things. What things? Everything he's been teaching about. Very simple, but so important. And it's neglected by many. You know what he is saying? One who serves Christ must speak with Christ's authority as he teaches the word of God. Timothy is to command, or the word here is order. In my version, it says prescribe. It means order them. Order his people to live properly. And he must teach them the truths in the light of these orders and commands. That is a very, very important statement. In other words, good ministers don't make nice suggestions. They order people on the authority of the word of God to do something. And they do it without apology. They command people to obey the word of God, and then they teach them why they are to obey the word of God. The cults tell people what they are to do also. In fact, they dominate and control people's lives. But a good servant not only orders people to do something, and then he teaches them the biblical ground and basis for it so that they make sure that it's not just him telling them what he wants them to do, but rather it is indeed the word of God. Now, this is very important. Look at uh, Paul will say this again in Titus chapter 2. You turn over there, 2.15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. A true servant speaks with authority. He exhorts, he reproves. Titus 3.8. Paul will also say, this is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. You speak with dogmatism. There is a place for dogmatism. So a lot of people don't want that. They don't want anyone who's dogmatic. They don't want anyone who will deal with confronting them about issues. Now, a lot of people who handle the word of God don't do this. They are afraid to, uh, to insult people or have people get annoyed at them. And so they make suggestions. But that's not what the word of God has to say when you're dealing with something that's clear cut in scripture. Speaking with authority. Now, what is speaking with authority? I know a lot of people, when you speak of authority, they think you have to shout. That's not speaking with authority necessarily. That's just being loud. I don't get the impression that Jesus went around shouting at everybody in the Gospels. But the Bible says that the leaders of Israel knew that he spoke as one having authority. Spoke with conviction. There was meaning to what he had to say. 
He wasn't wishy-washy about it. He spoke with a clear conviction. And there are some who don't do this. And there are some who, who may shout, but there's no biblical basis. And then there are others who don't speak with any authority at all. They only make statements, only make suggestions. But a good minister makes confrontations. It means you do. I'm not talking about just the pulpit now. You confront people. You address sin. You tell people what they need to do. You find a, a couple who's living in sin. They're, they're uh, perhaps not married. They're living together. You must tell them that they are not to do this. Now, I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm not saying be insensitive. But you must tell them what God's word says. And on the authority of God's word, you speak. Authority is very important. I remember uh, hearing the story about a man who went to the police academy and failed. He couldn't make it because of his voice. You say, how could you fail because of your voice? Because they couldn't have police officers going up to some people and saying, halt, in the name of the law. You can't do that. You know, nobody's going to believe you. You can't speak like you're just entering puberty. You cannot do that. You will have uh, no credibility. Now, if I just straighten my voice out here. So authority is important. There must be conviction, and, and, and there must be a believability to what you have to say. Now, we want to be careful that we don't go beyond biblical authority and start telling people to do things that uh, the Bible does not really deal with, and that's very important. There are a lot of people who want to tell you how you ought to live your life. It's just that they don't have any biblical authority for it. Paul is not dealing with that, but where the Bible is plain on an issue, a good minister must address that issue and do it with conviction and with love in his heart. How does one cultivate a sense of speaking with authority and biblical authority? Well, first of all, you have to believe that the Bible is the word of God. There's no other way around it. You must have no questions in your mind that the Bible is the word of God. And not only that, that men and women need to hear the word of God. There's a twofold aspect. There must be a conviction in your heart that the scripture is from God and that men and women need to hear it. And so you speak with authority. There is something, I recognize this in my own life, that is very special and very intangible, and I can't even explain it, that when I get up, to teach the word of God, something different happens. If, uh, if I were asked to speak at a banquet and just give a speech and have nothing to do with the word of God, I would be a, a, a wreck the whole night. I couldn't eat my meal. I'd get nervous. I'd get, I'd get disturbed. I, I just couldn't do it, not effectively at least. But when the word of God is taught, there is something very special about it. You know why? Because it is indeed the word of God. When I would give a speech, I, I would get very nervous because I think, who cares what I have to say? And that's true. Nobody really cares what I have to say. And I've got news. No one cares what you have to say, apart from your family and those who really care about you generally. But what God has to say is ultimately the most important thing. And so there is a sense that when we speak, we speak with conviction because we're not giving our own opinions. But it is not enough, and keep this in mind, it is not enough to order and command with conviction because even, as I said before, even false teachers do that. That's one of the marks of a cult. Do you know that? That a cult usually has a messianic leader, who want, a messianic type leader who wants to control your life. And so they tell you all kinds of things you can do with your family and not do with your family. It got people so confused and messed up. That's what was going on somewhat in, in uh, Ephesus with First Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. They want to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand. 
either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confidence assertions. You had teachers there who were speaking about lawful matters. They wanted to be esteemed like rabbis, and they were speaking with conviction and confidence and dogmatism, but they were dogmatically wrong. The point is that you must back up your commands with sound doctrine. That's why in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, prescribe and teach these things. It is not enough to order people to do something. You must teach them. Back up your commands with sound doctrine. In other words, give substance to what you're commanding. Don't just exhort people. Tell them why. And if they're open to the Spirit of God and you tell them the biblical basis of it, they ought to do it anyway. So don't just tell people what to do. Tell them why they are to do what they should do. Now, I want you to know you cannot isolate this from verse 12. This is very important. Having said all of these things about speaking with authority, a good minister doesn't tell people to live one way and then he lives another way. Very important. Therefore, a good servant has another mark, and that is he sets an example. Verse 12. He not only speaks with biblical authority and tells people how they ought to live their lives, and that is his role in light of the Bible, but he also sets an example to make sure that what he's preaching to others, he's practicing himself. Verse 12, let no one look down, Timothy, on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I remember speaking a number of years ago to Archie Parrish, who is um, one of the leaders in Evangelism Explosion. We were to hold a clinic of Evangelism Explosion uh, people, ministers at this church, and I said something to the effect of, Archie, do you, think we could do, do you think I can do it? I'm so young, and I don't know if we could pull this off, and here are these ministers from around the country are coming, and here's this kid leading this. And you know what he said to me when I told him I, I was young, which I'm sure he could have figured out himself, but he said, you won't always have that problem. That's a deep statement if you think about that. In fact, it's dangerous. If you're not growing old, you have problems. You won't always have this problem of of being young. This verse, verse 12, has always meant a great deal to me because, quite frankly, I've been a young minister. And while someone is young, which is a relative term, while someone is young, there are always going to be questions about him. And he's going to have to win the respect of others that normally will come when he's older. There's something about age that just generates respect. And you young men and you young women need to especially take note of this. He must gain the respect, and he does it by his behavior. In other words, just giving orders doesn't gain anybody's respect. Just because I have a position here that I can get up each week for two hours and blast out commands from the Word of God does not gain anyone's respect. Not really. It must be earned by practicing what's preached. And that's what verse 12 is saying. Verse 12 is saying that no one look down on your youthful, youthfulness. Uh, the term look down means despise, have contempt, have an inferior estimation. In other words, There's going to be people who will do this, and this was taking place in Ephesus, who will come with the attitude, whether they say it or not, they at least think this, who do you think you are as a young whippersnapper telling me what to do? You are prescribing, you are ordering, you are are commanding me to do these things. Who do you think you are while you're young enough to be my grandchild or child? Now, that's a very real problem that every young servant of the Lord has to face. There's no getting around it. What do you do? Listen, young Timothy was enduring this. 
That's why Paul addresses this to him. It applies to us, but it's addressed to him. What a tough situation. And the Greeks suggested it was already taking place. Now, I want you to understand that, that uh, Timothy was, was not a teenager. We're not talking about someone who is 16, 17, 18. You might think that's the case by just reading this, but it wasn't the case. He was between 30 and 40 years of age. Paul, and we know this because Paul chose Timothy in Acts 16, and uh, we know when we put the chronology together in Bible letters that it was around the year A.D. 50. And you have to figure at, at the minimum, Timothy at that point was between 18 and 20 years old. You're not going to take a teenager out of the house. Uh, most Bible scholars feel that he was between 22 and 27 years of age. So let's just say he was in his 20s. First Timothy was written about 62 A.D., maybe even a little later, maybe 63 A.D. So when he was in Ephesus, Timothy had to be between 30 and 40 years of age. And I think closer to 40 than to 30. Now, youth is a, is a relative term. When you say young, it, it varies from culture to culture and from subculture. For instance, 40 is young to be a president. When John Kennedy was running for the presidency, everybody focused on that, how young he was. But if you're a baseball player and you're about 40, you are old. Not for the presidency, but to be a ball player, you are. In the Greek culture, Timothy was young. Because in the Greek culture, you were considered young up to 40 years of age. In fact, early church literature said that a man wasn't to become a bishop until he was over 50. Why? And I quote, he will be past youthful disorders. Isn't that encouraging, young men and women? So, did I hear an amen from that? Past youthful disorders, whatever that may mean. So Timothy was in the eyes of the church, and especially the elders that he was sent to deal with and correct as an apostolic representative, he was considered young. And he was considered immature. In their eyes, he was just a kid. Maybe a big kid, but he was just a kid. And they weren't about to respond to him and what he had to say, at least some of them, at least enough of them that it's a problem. And what do you do in that situation? How do you get someone to stop despising your youthfulness? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't start bragging about your credentials, what school you went to, how many degrees you have how you know the Apostle Paul, why you're just like this with Paul. In fact, he sent you here. That's not what Timothy's told to do. He doesn't tell them he's an apostolic representative. And you don't start pushing people around to try to assert your authority. You don't do that because you don't gain their respect. You might gain fear from them, but that's not the same thing as respect. And you don't tell them you were ordained. And I have all the uh, signatures to prove it. You know what? That's unimportant. In fact, that means relatively little or you've gone to the best Bible school in the country, and you've got a degree from it, and you know so-and-so, and you've done this, and you've written this article, and you've written this book, and you... None of these things will gain the respect of anybody. Not really. Listen, to carry on an effective ministry as a good servant, you have to model the truth for people. There is such a thing as respecting a person's position, even though he or she is completely undeserving personally. That happens in lots of situations involving hierarchies, but it's all on the outside. Living a life that's worth respecting is far more challenging, but it's well worth it in the long run. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To learn more about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com for service times, ministries, and, well, just about anything you want to know about Lakeside. 
or you can call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse depends on the gifts and prayers of listeners like you to help pay for airtime and other costs, as well as the spiritual help we get as you pray for us. If God has blessed you through this ministry and you'd like to help keep it on the air, you can give by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or go to the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Your gifts don't have to be big to make a difference, so we appreciate all of them and all of you. Also on the website, we feature a message archive page with all of our previous broadcasts available for free streaming or download so that you can go back and catch up on anything you might have missed or just to share with a friend who can't listen when we're on the air. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. General George C. Marshall was a remarkable man. The story goes that when he took command of the infantry school in Fort Benning, Georgia, it was pretty run down. Instead of ordering it cleaned up, he simply went to work on his own quarters. Other officers and men saw that and started in on their own quarters. Soon the place was looking good without any orders given. That's called leadership by example. We'll see how that applies to spiritual leaders on the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues this series on the marks of a good servant. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by We're here to give you strength between